You're listening to Grassroots, www.innovationstudios.com. Find us on Google, send us an email, send us a question. That's what we're doing today. We're doing Q&A. Let's have a look at uh, our first question straight at it. These answers and these questions come from the likes of you who are out every Friday, Saturday night, chucking your battered old amps in the back of your Vauxhall Zafiras, just about being able to close the door and going off to play the Royal Oak somewhere and uh, playing to a load of beer-swilling public bar types. <laughs> um, let's go straight at it. As always, I'll always try and give you an honest opinion. I'll always give you the best advice that I can possibly give you. You can, of course, go elsewhere, and there are various and endless videos on YouTube to get exactly what you want. But from my little corner of the world, I'll give you my opinion from someone who has just stood on stages um, everywhere from a pile of beer crates with a bit of wood on top to proper stages with curtains to theatre stages to corners of rooms to the place you know to standing in places where the pool table usually goes um so I'll give you my perspective on on the real grassroots music and the, uh, the musicians who are out there every Friday Saturday Sunday some some of you just trying to scratch by and earn a living god bless you all first question comes from Donna and Donna's in Canvey Island. Donna says, oh, very quick question, this one. Have you ever been drunk on stage? Yes. Um, <laughs> and only once. Um, it's very much a, a, a thing in this business where people will see it as a buzz. When you're being paid to do a job, you know, I mean, if I worked in a bank and I turned up nine o'clock on a Monday morning, you know, stoned and, and you know, drunk, I'd be sent home. But it seems that when people are going on stage, it's okay to do that. I don't get that. I mean, I think you're there to work. And, and that's not everybody, by the way. I, I, there are a lot of people out there who don't do it. And look, my way isn't always the right way. You might play better when you're drunk. But um, in my experience, whenever I've played shows where I was drunk, one of them was deliberate. I'd been on it all day. And the other one was kind of a bit uh, where I ended up drinking a bit too much too quickly before I went on and had to clear my head. Um, but I realized that, uh, the hard way is that you go on stage and you feel great. And don't get me wrong when you're up there, it's a great show, but somebody videoed it and I saw it the next day. Oh, it wasn't the same show. And, um, it really was a bit loose. So, uh, yeah, I have been drunk on stage, but only twice in 30 years and only deliberately once, um, I'm going to work. And if you, you know, it's like they say you don't get drunk and operate heavy machinery. Well, I mean, it doesn't get any heavier than an audience full of people. That can do you serious damage if you're not on the top of your game. Um, so, yes, I have been, but uh, I've never been stoned. I've never done the drugs thing, but I have been drunk on stage more than once. Um, but these days I've been pretty much... Um, for, for the best part of 20 years at least since uh, I, I walked on stage having had anything more than maybe a shandy sometimes I'll have a shandy when I'm up there because I feel it's nice to uh, there sometimes you'll sing a ballad and I like to stand and hold a beer while I sing it some people don't get that but the truth of it is it's just something it's a visual and it's kind of I oh, singing that song and he's holding a beer and it's just me more about trying to look cool than actually drinking the alcohol usually a pint of shandy lasts me a whole set certainly sometimes a whole show i don't really touch it i've got my bottles of water i always drink loads of water and as much as i can so uh yes donna i have <laughs> and uh 
and I'm not proud of it. Next question comes from John in Billericay. And John says, as a former music teacher at a school in Essex, um, recently it's been such a shame that music seems to have dropped down on the curriculum and is no longer seen as one of the major subjects. What are your thoughts on this? Um, yeah, I, I, it feels a little bit as if everybody's focusing on um, maths and English and uh, other things as well. And I, th I feel a little bit, I mean, my opinion, but I feel a little bit that um, there doesn't seem to be, or at least in my opinion, it doesn't seem to be um, as big. I mean, my, my son is 10. And at the moment, we're looking at schools. And when I, and the schools that I'm looking at in uh, in and around sort of Essex and Basel and where I'm from and Hadley, um, the schools I'm looking at, you know, you, you go in the in the French department, it's three corridors. You go in the maths department, it's four corridors. You go in into the English department, you know, it's it's four or five corridors, media studies. And you go into English and it's kind of like three rooms. Um, and, it, and one of them is a teaching room. So And, and music lessons tend to be very much... Um, about uh, and they don't seem to have changed from from what I've seen. When I was at school, a lot of the music lessons were sat with your mate on a Casio keyboard trying to play something with your headphones on while the teacher read a book. Uh, no offence, John. I know that's what you but but you'll know what I mean by that. Um, uh, I I had a music teacher at, at uh, the school I went to, Billericay, and I and I thought he was great because he didn't play. And didn't teach the 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 usual stuff. He was given a bit more of a free reign, um, I, I would assume. He still taught according to um, you know a, a, a curriculum, but he does he didn't um, he was happy to play a bit of rock and roll now and again, or or play something a little bit you know different to Beethoven or Mozart or things like that. So I find that the schools, yeah, I think maybe they see music as being a, a little bit more of something that you should pursue out of school hours. Maybe they, I don't know, maybe the powers that be kind of look down on it a little bit. But I, I hope they don't. I think it's just, uh, maybe it's a resources thing. Maybe it's a thing that music isn't something for everybody, whereas English and maths and uh, other things are important to have. Maybe they don't feel that music is as important as um you know, uh, to, to everybody. And maybe they feel that music is very much about having a, a, a talent and something that you pursue. Because from what I can see, the music lessons uh, were very much two, two people on a keyboard with headphones. And that, genuinely, that's true. And then maybe three teaching rooms, one with a piano in it, one with a drum in it, one with a couple of guitars, and they were all empty. So it seems to me that um, music... And I mean, the music in schools, John, as well, um, is... Um, you know, like like you pay a lot of money as a parent to send your your child for lessons, maybe in a flute or a violin or something like that. And I'm not knocking the system, but all I can say is tell you honestly, you get 15 minutes, and by the time you've gone in and you've tuned your instrument, you probably get about 14 minutes, about maybe 12 minutes, and I don't see that you can learn, and you could do that every week, 15 minutes a week. And I'll give you some idea, the school that my daughter went to, she played a, a recital on the flute and uh, a, a little assembly they did and she played a recital on the flute. And then a year later, played the same recital. And I'd paid, God knows what, £60 a term or £80 a term for her to learn that. Um, and I remember thinking, the system, I don't ever hold anybody responsible, but I remember thinking then, this system is broken. 
because nobody's really you know nobody seems to be excited about music it doesn't although the you know having been shown around a school recently and the headmaster was so proud of it he'd show you the you know the, the astroturf outside and how they had six rugby um pitches and four football pitches and and, and all of that, and any sort of English, and it, this is our English, we've got this, and, and uh, the the German, um, you know, the German um, area, the German wing, or whatever you want to call it, um, and the languages department, the head of year, the library, and he sort of went, this is the music department, and sort of hardly took us down there. And, you know, so as a musician, obviously, I... I take that personally, but I, I think a lot of people don't. And I think a lot of people really feel that music is really about something that if you want to pursue it, you can. And I don't know if the schools push as hard as they can. But then I, th- I feel, my opinion again, that, um, you know, I remember thinking when I was at school, and this is going back a bit, you know, by the way. Um, but when I was at school, we didn't have homework until the seniors and... Um, you know, and, and, and now you're getting homework from certainly the juniors, but from before that. And I always say, where would this country be if if uh, Ian Beaufort had never bowled a cricket ball or Daley Thompson had never gone to athletics? And I feel like they, they teach them all day at school and at three o'clock send them home with a stack of homework to do that night and there's no time for them to kick a ball around or, you know, or, or be the next David Beckham or, or, or to pick up a guitar or learn you know, how to do something, and it might be a passion. So, to be honest with you, John, music doesn't seem to be as important in the schools as it used to be. Now, I'll tell you what, I'm more than happy to be wrong on this because um, that's just my opinion. If there are any uh, schools out there, headmasters or anything like that, that have a great music department or want to prove me wrong, please, by all means do, because I'll be so, so happy to be wrong on this if you say to me, this is our music department we really care about our students here. We really want them to do the best. We really want them to... I mean, a lot of schools specialise in drama and, and they'd be great with drama, but the actual music, the actual art of playing a, um, an instrument or learning instrument. When I was at school uh, and I took the, the, the sixth form one, I'd taken music. I took music as an option and we had to write, you know, a few songs. So we had to be creative. And I try and do this as a music teacher, John. I try to encourage people to say, I'll say to look, I can teach you how to play other people's music. That's fine. I'm sure Leonardo da Vinci learned how to paint by looking at somebody else's creation. But somewhere along the line, he had to take his brushes and create something of his own. And that's what I try and encourage people to do and people I've worked with. Um, I always say to them... um, you know, I've taught you these chords, we've worked on these chords, we've worked on these songs, we, we can put them now, see if you can be creative, see if you can come up with something yourself. And the reason I do that is because, A, I think it's important, B, I think it's more important that somebody creates something and is original um, than that they just become a clone of somebody else. But also, um, I feel strongly that that's what I was taught when I was at school, when I was in music. It was about being creative and writing a song. And my um, teacher at, at uh, the, the school I went to in Billericay was great at saying to me, we need to write a song about something. And he liked the same sort of music as I liked, whereas most of the teachers in that era tend to talk to you about Hayden or the firework music or Beethoven, which is great, <laughs> you know, and, and I love that. 
But for a young kid who was brought up listening to the Beatles and loving the Who and the Stones and the Kinks, all of a sudden to have to follow a, a transcript of Mozart's clarinet concerto just wasn't that much fun. So uh, I think it's important if they're going to do anything, I can't change anything from my little shed in Hadley, I can promise you that much, but I can, I can say to anybody out there, any of the teachers out there, anything like that, prove me wrong on this. Prove to me that music's important again, because it needs to be. Music's the most important thing that there's ever been. And I will say that as a musician, but that is the truth. From the moment you're trying to get your baby to sleep, you're singing him a nursery rhyme. From the moment you're learning your times tables, you're doing it with a, a rhyme or a song from the point where you're, uh, these days it's changed a bit, it becomes more of a rap, but it's still music. You still learn your times tables with a rhythm and with a music. You sing your lullabies to your kids when you're trying to get them to go to sleep. Every couple has a favorite song. Every... Um, person has a favorite song every event in your life can be celebrated with a song and that song is happy birthday or that song is merry christmas there are christmas carols there are you know we sing old lang syne on new year music is the biggest time tunnel that you've ever been in it's the fastest way to be 16 again to put on a song that you listen to music is so 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 important when i've gone into schools when i've talked to the to the uh, teachers when I've, when I've made little um, uh, uh, speeches, seminars, I suppose you'd call them. They, they, go, they drag on a bit, believe me. Um, but I, the, the importance of music, the way that we can express ourselves through, through, through music that we can't do in any other way. Why would you not want to encourage that? Music is the freest way that somebody can get in touch with themselves. It can be therapy. It can be powerful and for it to not be as important as some of the other things out there to me that doesn't seem right um but i am a musician you have to remember that and if i was a rugby coach then i'd be saying oh it's amazing how they've got six rugby pitches and four football pitches so it's personal opinion but to be honest with you john i feel a little bit that music isn't as important my children don't get homework from music um, I was delighted, by the way, the other day that my daughter um, came home from school. I picked her up and she said that the teacher had gone through, as part of their music lesson, had gone through some of the Beatles songs and was trying to analyse them. Um, and so that that's a nice thing. There's also a programme on the BBC, which I can't name, but that, that I'm sure it's the BBC, that, that uh, is based on a lot of little bugs and they... And, uh, and it's it's based on the Beatles music. So a band as important as that is still out there. But uh, I said to Jennifer, we'll go in tomorrow and ask him to analyse I Am The Walrus and see how he gets on with that because there's no sense in that at all. John, music should be more important. Music should be more important anyway. Um, but uh, I hope that you're happily retired if you are retired, as, as you said, you're an ex-music teacher. Um, and I wish you all the best and thank you very much for your question, John. Innovation Studios has all the tools you would need to bring your music to life. Get in touch to book a free consultation. This is our opportunity to chat about your music, listen to demos, and if you're unsure, find which pricing would fit you best. There are no hidden costs. Once a booking is made and price agreed, there are no further hidden charges. Our team at Innovation Studios are professional musicians 
We know that sometimes a recording may run into an extra hour or an extra day. Your original price will stand. Guidance that will help you make a great sounding album at an affordable price. www.innovationstudios.com Uh, next question comes from Carl, and Carl is in Hockley. Hi, Carl, hi, Carl. How are you doing? Carl says, "What are the benefits to recording live as opposed to tracking each in- instrument individually?" Um, the answer, Carl, is uh, energy. I think um, if I had to choose, then um, I always try to uh, the recordings I've made where people wanted uh, demos and they were a band. I try to get as much of the drums as I can with the band playing live because then you get an energy. I, I use the word spirit a lot because I think it's it's important to capture the energy and the spirit of a of a band. And I think if you when when you're in a studio and you're tracking everything, I think it's more polished, but I also think it can be more plastic. Um, no band out there will ever want to if if they were given the choice, they would always want to play the song live, I think. Um, if you know, but it comes down to the musicality. It comes down to the individuals. It comes down to uh, talent, capability. You know, um, capability. It's 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 that really. But I think by recording a band live, what you're trying to do as a producer, as an engineer, is really to get the drums and maybe the bass if you can in in that take. Because the guitars can be tweaked afterwards, and and they won't, they can make a difference. But guitar players are a different breed. You know, we we're happy to just bang a solo out, and we can get right into it anyway. Um, but I think drummers and bass players, because they they so they're the difference, in my opinion, between whether a song bounces or it doesn't. So if you're trying to get the drums, you want the drums live. You don't want your drummer to go in cold, because then he starts thinking about the structure of the song. Um, so if you're able to get him in a drum booth, uh, if you're able to put the microphones through, or in my case, what I did with um, one of the bands I recorded, um, Supervillain, was to go to their re- the recording, uh, the rehearsal room, and I recorded the drums and the bass live, and then we overtrack, uh, overdub the guitars afterwards. But I was able to get a lot of the leakage off of the drums, and also. Uh, through using various different uh, programs, you're able to put a program on the snare. And just basically, you can take the timing of the kit that was played at the time by Max. um, And you're able to then program it uh, using various different softwares to program it to go through um, a, uh, you know, a programmed kit to get the the perfect snare that you can get, um, which in turn gets rid of a lot of the leaking and stuff like that. And in the end, I think I only really left on um, the overheads, which just had a little bit of atmosphere. But I'd say to the boys, you know, the singer, you just do what you do. And, you know, everyone's got to turn down a little bit, but he has to play in the same way. So playing live gives you an energy and an enjoyment. Um, Making the first few albums uh, in Wall to Wall, we put the work in in the rehearsal room. We went in, we played the songs live, and then we overdubbed the guitars and the vocals afterwards, kept the drums um, may have overdubbed the bass. I can't remember. It was a long time ago. But um, it's more important that your drummer has the energy and has the that thing around him. And that's not to say that drummers can't play on their own, because you can, lads. But I think the, the spirit of a band depends on the energy and, and the playing live is better. 
layering stuff, which is what I do in the matching, I, I layer it. I have my drum loops, uh, my you know my drum programs. I put the put the usually an acoustic guitar on and a guide vocal, and then the bass guitar, and then build it, build it, build it. Um, but you never have um, the same energy. And a lot of the famous and legendary bands have said the same thing: that the studio stuff is really just to get the music out there. Where it comes alive is live. And and if you listen to maybe the same. A lot of bands do this. They tend to sort of they release a successful album, and then maybe after a few years they take it and they say we're playing that album in its entirety live. You know, um, but if you listen to a, to what some particularly some of the rock bands, um, you'll find that um, when you compare the studio version to the live version, they're, they're two different animals. Usually, the live version is faster with adrenaline and everything, but um, in most cases, it's just got a kick to it that the studio version doesn't have. And I think all musicians would always say, you know, you you wish that you could record an, an album live in front of an audience, live in front of a crowd all the time, and it would have that studio quality. You'd want it to go back and, uh, you know, and, and, and to sound, you know, clean and presentable the way it does when it's recording in a studio. But of course, with all the leaking and all of the... The, the the crowd sounds and things like stuff like that. You, you can't do that. So um, the benefits are that playing live to get the drums really bouncing will make the sound uh, track sound a lot better in the long run. Um, but uh, layering it will make it sound more polished, but I feel sometimes a little bit more plastic. Um, I can only do the best with the songs that I write. And because I'm me, and it's no big secret that the matching is just me, um, because I'm just me, I'm playing all different, playing all the guitars, all the instruments, and, and sorting the drums out myself. So, you know, there are days when it doesn't happen, and there are days when it does happen. But what you're looking for is the best feeling. To give you an example, I'll give you a very, very quick example. The Beatles, I saw her standing there. To my, for my money, it's one of the few songs that I've ever heard that's got a count in. But if you ever listen to that without the count, it doesn't sound the same. It has a real bounce to it, that count, and it has the energy of a live band in the studio banging that song hard. And that is what the essence of recording a band live is about. Twist and Shout is the same. They were great live, they could play, and they were allowed to play. And if you're in a great type band, I believe, what well, I'm not sure that uh, there are a f quite a few of the legendary heavy metal bands that like to record their, their stuff in the studio live, played live, uh, as a unit, um, because they get a better result, and then they overdub the stuff that they don't need. And I would imagine that's probably more common than layering stuff. I think layered stuff tends to be y your artists who are, who are under a band name but sort of go out on their own, but, they're, you know, they're, they're on their own. Um, so I feel like... If you had a choice, you'd always say to the band, play live, and we'll overdub the guitars afterwards. You just need to get a real solid drum track down that bounces, and hopefully a bass track as well, and then if we can get that, you know, we're in business. So there are arguments for both, but I think most musicians that I've met, and my my certainly my opinion is, play it live if you're good enough to play it live to get that energy, and then overdub afterwards. So thank you very much for your question, Carl. 
This question comes from Steve. Steve says, hi, Marcus. Hope you're well over these difficult times. I just wondered how you balanced a mix. Uh, so what Steve's referring to is, obviously, once you come to uh, mixing your recording down, how you would balance it. Best, best advice I can give you is, um, first of all, the biggest advice I can give you is that there are no rules, but generally... Um, you try and picture the band in front of you and you try and mix them as to where they would stand. So in the case of um, a four-piece band, maybe with the a guitar player at the front uh, and the vocalist at the front, um, but his amp is over to the left, you'd look at it and you'd go, two, two guitars, where are the amps? So you go, okay, where the amps are usually is the um, one, one guitar amp is over on the left, so I'll mix that into the left speaker. The other amp is over to the right, so I'll mix that into the right speaker. And the bass player is usually by the drummer, maybe just slightly left or slightly right, but just slightly um, off-center. Um, drums, you want kick in the middle, you want snare in the middle, but the tom-toms have to kind of go across the picture. It's always nice if, you're, if your tom-toms, as, you, as your drummer sort of goes dum dum dum, dum across the picture, it, that it goes from left to right in your earphones when you listen to it or across your car stereo or whatever. So when you're balancing a mix, it's important that you feel like, as a listener, you're sat behind the kit and you're getting those drums from different uh, places. I've tried moving the snare a little bit left, but it doesn't work. Leave it in the middle. Kick drum in the middle. Hi-hat sometimes a little bit to the left. But the most important thing about balancing a mix is that you can sometimes um, get more from a guitar by turning it up and panning it right over to the right than you can by leaving it in the middle. and uh, Because you can get more power from it by making that picture. What you're trying to do is really to create a space for the vocals. So if you're able to move, you've got two, so let's say you've got two guitars, bass and drums on a track, maybe one overdub lead solo. So let's have a, have a think. Okay, kick drum and snare in the middle, tom-toms across, so maybe uh, rack toms from sort of maybe 30% uh, left, um, rack tom uh, in the middle then maybe a floor tom over towards the right there so you so that it goes across the picture um, and then let's say you've got the bass maybe just slightly 10% to the left and then you've got your guitars panned right over to the left and right over to the right um, all of a sudden you stick the vocal in the middle you'll find that it has so much space around it so you can then turn up the instruments around it to get that power if you listen to um, a, a lot of the rock bands, particularly the boogie bands and the the rock and roll bands, um, you know, the, some some of the ones that have schoolboys uh, playing Gibson SGs at the front, you'll often find their stuff is mixed completely and utterly guitar left, guitar right, solo in the middle, guitar solos kick in in the middle because they sometimes overdub a few things um, so that both guitars are playing the rhythm and make the track more powerful. When you're balancing a mix. Um, it's really, there are things you can do. You can EQ stuff. You can put a bit more top on to bring an instrument out. But in general, in terms of balancing it and where it needs to be, try and keep the vocals in the middle in their own space and then kind of envelope them with the sound of the rest of the band. I mean, I, uh, the, the band I recorded, Supervillain, when I recorded them, I stuck the bass slightly left and then I double, uh, double mic'd, um, it was Jim, Jim's guitar and was able to put it through effectively two different amplifiers and I had one left and one right. So his guitar kind of enveloped the rest of the band. Um, and although it was only one guitar, 
it was uh, I was able to get so much on it that it sounded really full. So there are different ways that you can do it. But um, to be absolutely honest with you, um, just make the space for the vocal in the middle. That's the most important thing. You don't want everything in the middle. Don't ever put everything in the middle. I know there are some times when it happens and there are exceptions to the rule. Um, and if you listen to some of the early Beatles stuff, um, you'll find that, you know, a lot of the vocals come out the left speaker and the music comes out the right speaker. But you have to remember that when that was mixed, it was mixed to be played on a record player that had like... Um, two speakers one at the top and one at the bottom so they wanted the vocals to come out the top speaker and the music to come out the bottom it was like one of the a box that you used to play I and mean, i'm not old enough to remember it i've got to say that but from what i've read so obviously you want the vocal in the middle and then spread the sound out that's how you get your balance that's how sometimes because i feel when things don't cut through they usually don't cut through because they're not in their own space it's not a levels thing you know, you don't want to be turning up everything louder than everything else in order to get heard. Balancing a mix is sometimes picturing the band in front of you and saying, where does everybody, not not necessarily where do they stand, but where is their amp? Okay, so he's got an amp there, he's got an amp there. Um, you know, singer in the middle, of course, at the front, that's where they always are. Um, one you know, guitar one side, other guitar the other side. So spread the sound out. That's the most important thing you can do. Um, other thing as well is balancing a mix is really about can you hear everything um, all the time? You know, acoustic guitars, sometimes I always feel that um, different for rock music, but for some music, uh, driving sort of uh, rock music or, or Britpop and things like that, an acoustic guitar can add so much percussively, probably every bit as much as a tambourine or anything like that. So put that in there somewhere and just maybe just mix it in the background just blend it back a bit you know you know I think on one of my last Q&As I I demonstrated about an acoustic guitar with a lighter plectrum so you're able to use that rhythm thing so go for that but to be honest with you mixing balancing a mix is more about creating space it's not necessarily about everything louder than everything else and I hope that that answers your question thanks very much Innovation Studios, hoodies, many colours and sizes available. Our logo proudly emblazoned on the front. The back can be personalised with your name or your nickname, or anything you want as long as it isn't too shocking. Click to order online, www.innovationstudios.com. Our last question today comes from Glenn, and Glenn says, it doesn't say where Glenn's from, Hi, Marcus. I just wondered, what is a good way of memorizing chords and scales? Um, well, scales is really about muscle memory. It's just about playing them over and over again. It'd be easy for me to say practice, practice, practice. Um, but sometimes uh, memorizing chords, you have to remember that when you're playing a chord, you are essentially, if, you, if you're playing a guitar for the first time, um, that you are effectively making a fist in the shape of a chord. Because what a lot of people will tell you is you need to put, you know, put your fingers on and push really hard. You don't push really hard. You wrap your thumb around if you can and you squeeze like an orange. If you, you're trying to squeeze an orange, you squeeze it. You don't put it on a table and push it down. You don't want getting juice out of it. So that's um, the first thing to remember. The other thing about memorizing chords is you have to understand how they look. It's not about this string, this string and this string. It's about 
um, how it looks, you know, a visual thing. And what I try and do sometimes when I'm, I'm working with students, uh, beginner students, is that I'll say to them now and again, just, just when you get home, take a picture of your hand playing that chord. And maybe if you've got, let's say you've got six chords that you know that you're working on, take a picture of them and then um, print them off and lay them out in front and see if you can play snap. But don't write on the back what they are. And when you turn them over, you've got the visual, you've got a picture of your hand playing that chord. And then you've looked at, oh, that's a C, I know that's a C. And you get used to how it looks. If you look down for the guitar players amongst you, if you look down um, and you're playing a C, it looks a little bit like a flight of stairs, like steps. A D looks a little bit like a triangle. So it's you look at it and you think, okay, how does it look when I play it? That's a good way of, of memorizing it. But really it's a kind, you know, you play it and play it and play it. Um, and you're trying to always glue the fingers together at the point where they need to be. When you put it on, you have a look. And I've talked about this before. There are, there are people I've worked with. Um, it's like an invisible glue where you glue the knuckle together. There's a point where at which... If you always glue it in the same place, when it goes on, it will be on the right string. And I know, you know that sounds strange, but it's true. There's a lot of truth in that. And um, so I, I encourage that. But really, it's just having fun. You kind of print off the chords of you playing them, lay them out, try and play snap. You know, that one, no, that's not that's not that. It's a D. Can you remember where it is? That works well with kids. It's a good bit of fun for them to um, work out the chords. Best way. The other thing as well is I like to put a stopwatch on uh, and to do one strum maybe on an E minor, one strum on an E, one strum on an A minor, one strum on a C, and you bang, 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 and, and try and put a um, stopwatch on. And all you'll add, one strum on each, and then you change. And what you're trying to do, what I try and do, is four chords in five seconds. So you're trying to play E minor, E, A minor, and C in five seconds. And let's say you, on top of that, you've got uh, an A and a D. So you've got six chords. And then, so you get four chords in five seconds. So the, you start with E minor E, A minor C, and you're trying to get under five seconds. Then you're trying to get under four, and you're trying to do it as fast as you can. Because what that's doing is it's it, it's making the hand instinctively try and go to the chord. And you don't have time to think. And the most important thing about music is we don't think about it, we just do. And we're trying to get an E minor E, we add the finger on, we move it down for an A minor, we move the, move the finger up for a C, bang. We're trying to get that. Once we've got that in five seconds, we then reverse it. We start with the C, we move back for the A minor, we move back for the E, we take the finger off for E minor. Bang, 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 trying to get that in less than five. Then we might do it in a different um, order. I might go A minor C, E minor E. And then I might bring the A in. I might say, okay, this time we're going to do E minor A, C. You know, So all the chords that you have, you create these little games that you can play around playing those chords. That's the best way of memorizing them is to is to play around with them. And sometimes it's not a case, never think of a chord of being, oh, it's that string, it's that finger, it's that finger. It has to go on as a shape. If I say to you, make a fist, you make a fist. If I say to you, point your first finger, you point your first finger. You know, if I say to you, you know, put give me a thumbs up, you give me a thumbs up. You don't even think about it. And what you're doing is, is, by doing that, is effectively, you're only doing what you do when you play guitar. You're just moulding your hand into the shape that it needs to be to put the thumbs up, to point with the finger, to put your middle finger up sometimes. You know, we all have, to, we all have days like that. But to make a fist, and what you're doing is, you're making a fist in the shape of that chord. And that's how you memorise it. You memorise 
how the hand and what the shape is. You don't think about it as that one, that one, and that one. You don't put a, a chord on in steps. Oh, see, oh, it's that one, then that one, then that one. Because if you do it like that, it will take a long time to get out of the habit. Now, when you first do it, of course you're going to do it. If you're still doing it after six weeks, you know, think about it. The shape that you are making is more important than whether or not the note buzzes when you first start. It's going to buzz, all right? Because your fingers are like Play-Doh and the tips of a guitarist's fingers are tough because that's what we do. It's like a ballet dancer's toes. It's tough. And you make the shape of the chord. You don't think about it as being three separate strings or four separate strings that you're playing. And that's the best advice I can give you. When you get into bar chords, again, you just make the shape. So the best way of memorizing chords and the best way of memorizing scales is to practice, but also to not look and think about what you're doing. Let the muscle memory take over. Let the hand find its way and take the mind out of it a little bit. That's my advice. Do it, do it, do it, do it. But, you know, most of all, just enjoy doing it. Find different ways of playing, but it has to mean something. You know, if you're going to do it, it has to mean something. If you're going to put the chords on, take a picture, lay it in front of you, play a game. You know, if you've got a couple of kids that you're teaching, they can play a game, play the snap game. Well, turn that one over, that's a C. Now, remember, you know, remember that the top right one was a C, so we turn that over, and you get used to seeing the shape. And then you start watching the TV, and you get used to seeing the shape when somebody else plays it. And I've had people say to me, I was watching, it used to be Top of the Pops, it's not now, but I was watching the TV and I noticed that he was playing a C and he was playing a G like I do. Yeah, and he will play it like you do because everybody plays a C and a G pretty much the same way. Um, it's just that he can do it a lot quicker and he's done it uh, and he doesn't think about it. You're still thinking about it. So memorize it, but most importantly with every any instrument, and I don't just appeal to guitar players, anybody out there, whatever you do, Try and do it without looking and try and do it without thinking. And you know you're improving when you're halfway through a strum pattern and someone asks you what you want for dinner and you say, oh, I don't know, fish fingers, whatever, and you haven't stopped playing. The muscle memory has taken over. All right? Let the muscle memory take over. It's not the worst thing in the world. It's great fun. That's it from me for another week. A pleasure as always. Thank you so much for your questions. I hope that my answers um, came across okay and I don't come across being too egotistical. Um, but uh, I love what I do and I love to share what I do and I'm passionate about what I do and I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Um, God bless you. Stay safe over this difficult time and I'll be back next week for some more Q&A. But uh, until then, yours in music, signing off. Don't forget, send me an email, www.innovationstudios.com for the website and the email is innovationstudios at gmail.com. Send me your questions and I will answer them to the best of my abilities. Until I see you soon, and I will see you soon, take good care, won't you? Bye-bye for now.